This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to your latest Liverpool Classics podcast on the Blood Red channel. I'm Paul Wheelock and I'm delighted to be joined on the line once again by Dan Kay of the Liverpool Echo. Now, Dan and I recorded one of these podcasts about 10 days ago now, uh, looking back on the iconic 5-0 win over Nottingham Forest in 1988, which also gave us the chance to reminisce about that truly great Liverpool side that won the league that season. But this podcast is about a Reds team that were pipped to the title and, and actually a match they didn't win. Uh, but before you turn off, I think you'll forgive us for talking about Liverpool for our Arsenal for one of the all-time great Premier League games, which took place exactly 11 years ago today. And it features one of the best individual performances many of us are likely to see from an opposition player. And hopefully it'll give us a chance to talk about a, a Liverpool season that may not go down in the history books, but it did have so many highlights and so many reasons to remember. Dan, thanks for joining us, mate. Are you looking forward to doing this? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it, was a, it was a very dramatic season and a very dramatic kind of spell during that season when this Arsenal game came around and even if it was one of those seasons and one of those matches that we look on uh, you know slightly wistfully um, it was it was it was quite an occasion and it was a privilege to be there even if things didn't maybe quite pan out the way that me and 40 odd thousand other Liverpoolians there that night hoped it would so let's go back to 21st of April 2009 and, and the visit of Arsenal to Anfield before we get to the actual nitty-gritty of the game itself. Set us the scene for, for people who may be listening, who, who were maybe a Liverpool, a Liverpool fan back then or too young or people who just want to remember, really. What was it? What was the title race like? What, what was Liverpool's prospects looking like? Well, I, have, you know, I think it has to be said, by this stage, Liverpool, I think belief was at its biggest, maybe round about a month before this. The previous season, Liverpool, I think, had finished third and, mm-hmm. got, to the, and got to the Champions League semi-finals. Um, and I had a really good season under Rafa Benitez. And I think there was real hope that 2008-9 would see Liverpool have a real go at trying to win this Premier League. And the season got off to a good start. I remember the uh, opening day win at Sunderland, the first home game against Middlesbrough that was really hard work. And I think it was about five minutes ago, Liverpool were losing 2-1. But uh, a deflected goal from Jamie, a rare deflected goal from Jamie Carrigan and a very late winner from Stephen Gerrard turned it round and to have one of those kind of wins in the opening home game did kind of set that little seed in your mind that kind of like, oh, is this, is this going to be, is this going to be our year? Uh, there was a similar kind of vibe a game at the start of October when we went to Man City. Mm-hmm. City had just been taken, literally within a matter of weeks, I think, had just been taken over by um, the, you know, the, the new Arab we had. So they were nowhere near the level that they were, at, were now. They roared into a two-goal lead, but again, Liverpool came back in the second half won 3-2 thanks to a, a Fernando Torres grace and a very late uh, kite winner and again I remember walking out the ground at the Etihad that day and, and saying to me mate these are the kind of games that the champions win and it was very early on and, and but, but there was that you could just feel the momentum starting to build um, and by the time we got to Christmas Christmas New Year time Liverpool were top of the league they lost one league match away from Tottenham and there was a number of turning points in, in this season really the, the final game of 2008 we won 5-1 at, at Newcastle, which I think, in fact, I've got it in front of me here, which I think put Liverpool three points clear of Chelsea at the top of the table and ten points clear of Manchester United in third. Now, United did have three games in hand because they'd missed a number of games out about Christmas because having won the Champions League the season before, they went off to play in the World Club tournament, whenever mm-hmm. that was. But there was very much that feeling going into New Year that kind of Liverpool were in the mix. Rafa had been here, what, three or four seasons now? So... 
he'd have time to kind of get his way of playing over some players and, and instilling what he believed. Um, and then another, you know, a number of incidents happened. Um, there was an incident with Stephen Gerrard in a, in a, in a bar in um, Southport, but ended up with him having to make a court appearance. Um, a couple of weeks later, Rafa came out with his famous... Uh, I'm loath to call it a rant, but, it, but it, 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 uh, he called out Alex Ferguson in a press conference over the undue influence that he felt the Manchester United manager was having on referees and the game's decision-makers and so on. And um, I've always thought that was kind of used a bit harshly against Rafa. People probably don't remember that he actually had a little bit of a health issue over Christmas and New Year's, so he did goldstones. Mm-hmm. And he missed a couple of games and he just kind of holed up in bed for a week or two. And I always kind of felt that that played a part in kind of like in him saying I mean, saying what he said publicly, which I don't think an awful lot of Liverpool supporters would have disagreed with him, and possibly even a number of neutrals wouldn't, wouldn't have disagreed with him either. But when you call it on like that, your results have to kind of really bear fruit. And unfortunately, Liverpool then went into what would have to be said a bit of a slump in form. I mean, they finished the season with 86 points and only lost twice. Yes. There's plenty of, plenty of seasons when that would, that would be more than adequate to win your league. But they, they, they had a number of draws around about this period. And by the time they went to... They'd beaten United Anfield in the September, but by the time they returned to the Trafford came about in the March. Liverpool were already a number of points behind and it was basically kind of last chance to lose. If, if United had won that game, I think everyone, even the most partisan Liverpool fan, would have, would have accepted the title bid was over. However, having got a goal down uh, to a Ronaldo penalty, Nemanja Vidic fatally let the ball bounce between him and Fernando Torres. Torres streaked clear and equalised, and Liverpool ended up winning the match 4-1. And that kind of like set into change. That, the next couple of weeks really started to kind of foster belief that Liverpool could do it. Because the following week, United went to Fulham and lost. And Liverpool beat Aston Villa 5 0 to close the gap further. And then the real key set of games, kind of, was, was a, might have been an international break in between, was, was the next set, which is at the start of April, when on Grand National Day, Liverpool were at Fulham. And having wasted chance after chance after chance after chance, Yossi Benayoun slammed over the 94th minute winner to win 1 0. Uh, I remember being in a pub, on, I think those were the game, I remember being in a pub on Waverley High Street somewhere, and it was tables and chairs were flying <laughs> one of the best set pub celebrations I've ever been involved in. <laughs> the following day, United were at home to Aston Villa in a televised game. And with, I think, 10 minutes to go, they were losing 2-1, which, again, would have very much fostered that belief that United were starting to slip and Liverpool were coming up on the rails. <clears throat> they managed to grab an equaliser, and then a young player, uh, the young Italian striker called Federico Mercader, yeah, remember uh, who did very little before and very little after, curled home a late winner to kind of keep United just about having that little bit of breathing space. And I think overall, if we're looking back on it, that possibly is the moment that Hope started to say that, that you know, United kind of steadied the ship because they still had an advantage. They still had to lose another couple of games. Mm-hmm. But Liverpool were still kicking on, still kept winning. And by the time Arsenal came to... You know, United, I think United still had a number of potentially tricky-looking pictures ahead of them. And obviously, as you get to the, the business end of the, of the title race, even sometimes the most straightforward the game has become um, a lot more difficult than they appear on the surface. So, by the time by the time Arsenal came to Anfield, Liverpool, um, I think, were a point behind United at the top. But obviously, with a win, could have gone two points clear. With United, I think, having two games in hand, but that w- would at least have put the pressure on. Mm-hmm. So, um, Arsenal themselves were in the mix for Champions League they were, they, they were nine points behind Liverpool 
But, you know, um, it was the period really before Arsene Wenger's reign there started to kind of tail off a little bit. So, we all, you know, the, we knew they were a difficult opposition and it was only a year before that they played in a in a Champions League quarterfinal at Anfield that was one of the, the great games yes. of that era. And we knew that, um, you know, they would they would pose their own problems. But I think going into the match, most, most Reds were confident that it would be a tough game. But this was a Liverpool team that, as I said, had only lost two league games all season. Um, had, had just bowed out of the Champions League the week before away to Chelsea um, after a 4-4 draw there. Which, even though it was disappointing and you know, we all fancied our chances in Europe, there was a feeling that, that not having a semi-final in the final few weeks of the season might just kind of help that title push, even if obviously we were aware that we were going to need some help from somebody to take points off United. Yeah, and it, it, it's rare that you get a 4-4 four, four in the season. Rare is still that you get two, and rare is still that you get three in the space of a, of, of a week. I, I remember yeah. watching at home being pretty shell-shocked as I was watching it kind of awestruck at the, at some of the some of the goals. It wasn't always great defensive play, but it really was a roller coaster to say the, the least. And you were there that night, Dan. I'm thinking back, I can remember it being an incredible atmosphere, probably because there was still that sliver of hope that United may slip up, but also just by the action that was happening in front of you. Well, yeah, and it was you know, it was a, it was a good era to be a Liverpool supporter. You know, we we um, uh, we, we lost the week before in the Champions League quarterfinals, but we'd got to the semis the year before. This was a team that was you know going the distance in the in the major competitions. You know, pretty much year in year out. Obviously, we got to the final in two thousand seven, when the FA Cup in 06 and the Champions League in 05. Um I remember we were just doing a little bit of prep before this as well. There was there was a nice little there was a mosaic on the cop. Uh, beforehand, uh, in mem- well, not in memory, but in tribute, because he is still alive. He's been in poor health for many years due to Parkinson's disease, unfortunately. Uh, Ray-, Ray Kennedy, who yes. was one of the, uh, you know, an Arsenal hero from their 1971 double. He scored the winning goal that won them the league against Tottenham at White Hart Lane that year. And then he actually was Bill Shankly's final signing as Liverpool manager in 1974 and was very much revered, you know, um, by fans of both clubs. And I think the I think it, they, they had it. I think there was a big red number five on the cop, and I think they organised it the Arsenal end. So it was like a yellow and navy their away colours, and number ten, which which was the um, which was the number of the Gunners. So so that you know, that kind of set the tone. You know, there was a lot of mutual respect. But, you know, there's never really been that much bad blood between Liverpool and Arsenal either. And you know, I think I've, I always had a lot of time for Arsenal. And I thought he gave a lot to English football. And I think you know a lot of Liverpool fans enjoyed watching Arsenal play. Mm-hmm. Not so much when they when they when they did a number on us, as obviously we ended up doing on on this particular evening. But um, again, as well, it was late April, so there's always something about you know when you go into big matches, big big nighttime matches, and it's still daylight. It whether it's a semi final or a big league game or whatever, it just adds that kind of extra kind of edge to the atmosphere. Um, also, as well, you know, you knew it was going to be a decent game of football. Arsenal would come to play; they were going to put ten men behind the ball. And it's one of the ironies of this match, actually, in this particular period, that you know, Liverpool under Rafa Benitez were, you know, I think renowned as being very solid defensively. Now, arguably, when people talk about this season, I think they often talk about the there was a number of draws at Anfield before Christmas as well, and, and people felt that possibly he didn't really let the team off the leash mm-hmm. as early or as much as he could have done. But in this period, it, that actually did start happening. In fact, I saw, um, I think over the pre, yes, here we are. Um, 
Liverpool had scored 27 goals in their previous eight games going into this match. So I think that even though, um, you know, at times Liverpool could be quite defensive and conservative under Rafa, well, more probably more through kind of like necessity than invention, by this stage in the season, the shackles were off. And as well as him, Arsenal would come to play. Liverpool would come and have a go. Fernando Torres was absolutely at his peak. Mm-hmm. Steven Gerrard was great alongside him. Although, and certainly when you reminded me, we were just chatting before we came on air, that he actually missed this game. Um, I think he, he must have picked up a knock in the first leg of the semi against Chelsea. Because yes. just looking at the team lineup since then. He missed he that one as well, at, didn't he? He didn't play at Stamford Bridge in the 4-4 and he didn't play in this game. So obviously he was a huge miss because him and Torres were, were mustered together. They, 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 they really linked up so well. But it says a lot about, about this particular Liverpool team that they, they, they did have players that could come in and still pose plenty of attacking threat. Yossi uh, Benayoun, that kind of runs alongside Torres. Caused Arsenal a lot of problems as well. Got the likes of Xabi Alonso having one of his best seasons in his final campaign for Liverpool in midfield. And Albert Riera, who was in his first season at the club. And, and had a decent season, really, before it kind of turning off for him. So um, it, was, it, it, it was all set up for a classic. And obviously that's 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 how it proved to be after a, a slightly cagey start. And there was only one goal in the first half. Yes. Um, through through Andre Arshavin. Um but it was really after the break that things really started to explode into life. It certainly did. It, eventually, it, it ended with Liverpool getting an equaliser. It did feel like it was two points dropped in a way, given the, the title race. But it was actually Arsenal at one stage who looked like they were going to actually become only the third team to beat Liverpool that season. Just talk about a couple of the goal scorers on that night, starting with Fernando Torres. You mentioned a moment ago he was in his his pump then. I know he that kind of season there was a few injury problems and then the season after it did, it did begin to hamper him a little bit. But wow, what an awesome striker. And I know... Uh, he feels like Waters passed under the bridge a bit with Torres now. Like he, he didn't leave in the best of circumstances. Obviously, went to of all clubs, Chelsea at that period in time. But it does feel like there's been some uh, like mending of the ways over the years. And he does speak so fondly of Liverpool. But back then, he truly was awesome. And certainly in that generation, for me, it was him and Drogba, two absolute super strikers. Never seen too many players like them who could just lead the line on the road. He, he was a fantastic player, Torres. Oh, he was, and he was. Yeah, you know, there's no getting away from it. He was absolutely adored by the cop. You know, for, for those first two seasons, he came in and hit the ground running, and um, you know, he played with such kind of verve and style, and but also kind of like with the kind of speedy determination because you know he didn't look, you know, the strongest of, of you know the, the, the characters on the face of it, and he did used to get some you know pretty stern treatment from defenders at times, uh, at times, but he, he just seemed to gel. With this, with this, with this side, with Gerard and behind him, with Alonso in the midfield, Mascherano was, was you know, an outstanding defensive holding midfield player there. And I, I think you're right in what you said. I mean, I, I personally you know, was really disappointed and you know, a bit of angry is the right way to put it, but, but, but with, with the way that Torres left. If he'd left the summer before, I wouldn't really have had much of an issue with it because the club was absolutely in a, in a terrible state on and off the pitch. Rafa had left, the, owner was at, the owners were, were at war. What I found really objectionable at the time when he did mean was the fact that it seemed like we'd righted the ship the October before we got rid of Hicks and Gillette and Fenway had come in. And and in the start of January, we'd even got rid of Roy Hodgson and got Kenny Dalglish back mm-hmm. in. Suarez was on his way. And the, you know, the, the frustration then was that, you know, it, you know the fact that Torres couldn't couldn't give himself at least six months to just give it to the end of the season to see, to, to, to see how things played out. And obviously the fact that he went to Chelsea, who was a club, you know, kind of, they are the antithesis of Liverpool, really, are they? They kind of stand for everything that we're not. 
So it did feel like a bit of a betrayal. However, as has been the case with a number of players, Michael Owen, I think, you know, is a prime example. It kind of went worse for him after when he left than what he did for Liverpool. I know, I know, we won a couple of trophies at Chelsea um, and got a couple of medals, but he was only every and, and you know, he scored the win. He scored the win in the semi final in the Champions League in Barcelona. He was a big two. part player, wasn't he? Almost he was, he was, on, he, was on, he, he was on the fringes, and I think judging from his own statements and the only interviews that he's given since you know, his playing his playing days have come to a close. Obviously, he came back to Liverpool. I think last year, the year before, from one of the Legends matches. I think it, it's quite clear, even if he's never quite said it explicitly, that there is a certain sense of regret on his part as well. And I, I, I do understand where he was coming from because there's no getting away from it. He was, you know, he, there was a whole series of broken promises that were that were made to him. He, he bought into an idea of what Liverpool in 2007 was going to be like, and literally within the first by by the by the Christmas of that year, that first season, already the owners were agitating to get Benitez out. The fans were mobilising against him. And it kind of almost became obscure. it got obscured really for the first eighteen months because things were going well on the pitch, but it quickly became clear that everything was unraveling. So I do understand why he felt he felt betrayed a little bit, but it was it was it was it was the way he left the thing that kind of left him stuck in the throat a little bit. But you know, as a footballer, you know those first couple of seasons, it was an absolute joy and a delight to watch. And I think this particular game kind of showed, you know, the is. It's full skill set, really. Liverpool were a goal down at half time. I mean, nearly, I think virtually every single Liverpool goal really came from an individual mistake. Mascherano, I watched it back just before Mascherano lost the ball on the edge of his own box for the first one. And um, just before the hour mark, uh, Dirk Kite put a rather speculative cross into the right hand side, and Torres leapt brilliantly mm-hmm. from probably 12 to 15 yards out, arrowed a beautiful header into the bottom corner. Um, a couple of minutes later, but Yossi Benayou put Liverpool in front just about, really got his head kicked off at the far post, conversely across it, just about went over the line. There was no goal, well, technology then, but Howard Webby was the referee, ironically, that day, gave it. And I remember the, the celebrations once we realised that goal went in were, were quite visceral, you know what I mean? Because we, we turned it round, we were losing, we were in front. You know, this was going to be the, 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 the three points that would put us back on top and put the pressure right on United. And then, unfortunately... Two, you know, probably the two worst individual errors of the day came shortly afterwards to put Arsenal back in front. Um, Alvaro Arbeloa uh, was, was caught in possession, receiving the ball from Jamie Parragher and Arsha and whacked one in from the edge of the box. And then within a, three minutes later on the 17-minute mark, crossing from the left-hand side, and Fabio Aurelio, who was an excellent player, mm-hmm. um, only a week before had scored one of the best Liverpool pre-picks I've ever seen, the opening goal in that four-fourth leg at Chelsea. Um I think the only word you can use to describe the clearance from this cross that came in was hopeless because he side-footed it literally to another Mark Garshav in 12, 12 yards out as they were made no mistake. So all of a sudden, with 20 minutes left, Liverpool were needing two goals again to get them back in front. But within, where are we? Within a couple of minutes, it, two minutes, um, Torres again came to the fore. And it was another, maybe one of the more unheralded aspects of this game. Ball played into him on the edge of his box with his back to goal, and he showed great kind of upper body strength to kind of shrug off his marker and hit a low right footed shot that possibly the goalkeeper might have kept out. But it was the element of surprise. Get you know, one thing that always oh, what a lot of the great strikers are good at doing is getting the shots off early. Robbie Fowler was great at it, getting your shots off early before the goalkeeper had a chance to protect yes. himself. And it's amazing how often it, 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 it doesn't need to be the best shot in the world sometimes to go in because it's got that element of surprise. 
And so, you know, with, with 18 minutes left, all of a sudden Liverpool were back on level terms and needed one more. And and they threw the kitchen sink at Arsenal. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to imagine they, they could really have, have done more or tried more. And before, you know, the, the end of, as is often the case in these kind of games, when you're, when you're desperate for a goal, you throw everybody forward. They got caught on the break and, um, and they're not dissimilar move to Adebayor. He equalised in the, the Champions League game the year before. Yes. I think it was Theo Walcott that, that sweet clear laid the ball into um, Arshavin, who slammed over his fourth and, and became, I think, the, the first player to score four at Anfield since a lad called Dennis Westcott for Wolves in 1946. Wow, I and did I didn't not know, know that. that. That's the top of my head. <laughs> Great the, knowledge. The good people at LSE history for that one. So, and I do remember that feeling a fairly devastating moment. I think in the ground, I mean, I, my feet was towards that end, so I had a good view of it. And I remember kind of thinking, I wouldn't say it felt like a Michael Thomas moment because that was obviously the, the last kick of the last game of the season. But there was that kind of nagging fear that we'd had really ever since the Makeda goal for United a couple of weeks before that it was just going to be a bridge too far. You know, came very much to, to the forefront of my mind then. And it's Liverpool's great credit that, you know, their own professional pride met the video. And I think when you watch the footage back, some of the players are on their knees or on their haunches. It's, it was one of those moments when it just feels like a real blow to the solar plexus. But, you know, they, they, they came forward again, um, still a couple of crosses into the box, and, you know, deep into stoppage time, Yossi Benayoun scooped one in uh, to really level things up and, and gain a point, which did actually put Liverpool top of the league. It mm-hmm. put Liverpool back to the top on goal difference. But United had two games in hand, and whereas previously, if, if Liverpool had, had got the win, um, you know, United would have, you know, two draws would possibly have... have um, Put Liverpool back in command. United now had to lose two matches, which, while not impossible, and I, I'm pretty sure, I think it was the week, the weekend after, Liverpool went. Uh, where are we? Yes, yes, the, 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 the weekend after the 25th, Liverpool went to Hull yes. and won three-one, and United were playing at home to Spurs in the in the tea time game. And I remember listening to this coming in, in the car back from Hull, and United went two, United were two down quite early on. And we're starting to think, oh, well, you never know. Um, and then Howard Webb, who's been on duty at Anfield on the Wednesday, gave United, shall we say, a generous penalty to get to get them back into the game. And the one thing you have to say about the you know, United side in general in the Ferguson, they were like sharks smelling blood in the water. Whenever they sensed a hint of weakness, they were great at going for the kill. And they ended up back in, you know, back in Tottenham 5-2. And um, really, the kind of it, it was all over by the shouting by that point. You know, Liverpool did win their last their last five league games after after the after the Arsenal match. So yeah, they pushed United right to the wire. And you know, eighty six points. I think what did Leicester win it with eighty one? I think United in possibly ninety seven when it was seventy eight or seventy seven. Yes. So you know, it, you can look back at these seasons and and think you know Liverpool really were desperately unlucky if they you know, to, to 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 put an eighty six point eighty six point season together take some doing and most years it would get you a title on yeah. this occasion it didn't and and really in some ways this was the beginning of the end for Rafa Savio because um, as, as has been talked of many times the recruitment the, the following summer when Alonso was allowed to leave and Aquilani was brought in wasn't really up to scratch the ownership situation was starting to get worse and worse and worse and, and the following season 0-9-10 would see Liverpool fail to qualify for the Champions League and, and Rafa Benitez leaving the club at the end of it. 
But you know the the memories that Liverpool supporters enjoyed over you know really the first four years of Rafa's reign. Um, you know he gave me some great days, some great nights, some, some great expeditions into Europe and around the country. Um, and it's, and one of, I think one of the nice things about looking back on time, ultimately frustrating times like this now, is that it makes what what we've been able to enjoy in recent times and the years and cloth even sweeter. Mm-hmm. Because there was possibly a certain sense during this time that how many times are we going to come up close? You know, are we going to fall just short? Have we just become an early team? And what's happened in recent years, it's, you know, I, 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 you know my point of view anyway, has made what's happened uh, recently even that more enjoyable. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And you look back, I, I don't know if you're the same as me, Dan, but I, I do think, obviously, football ultimately is about winning and Liverpool will do that yep. when football returns in the, the coming months. You know, the Premier League title will be coming to Anfield. But there's also about enjoyment and memories. And then we've talked about a 4-4 game, which obviously was gut-wrenching in the fact that it probably did end that dream of winning the league. But it was still a fantastic mm-hmm. game of football. You've said it yourself. It was a fantastic season. I'm just looking over the, the fixtures like you've been doing yourself. And we've talked about the 4-1 winner at United. We've talked about Ben Ayoun's last-minute winner at, uh, at Fulham, injury time winner, I should say, at Fulham. And then th- those games you were talking about earlier in the season, the late wins against people like City and Wigan at home mm. and United and Middlesbrough. Yeah. And, and then you forget about Europe as well. You forget that around this time. Real, the mighty Real Madrid, OK, not the Real Madrid that they once were or that they would become again. Dispatch 4-0 at Anfield and even the Chelsea draw 4-4, you know, Chelsea eventually prevailed. Well, but at, at one stage, Chelsea were cruising, you know. The, the, you look back and there were some great matches and some must have been some great memories for yourself. Well, particularly, I'm glad you mentioned that Chelsea one because it was a little content idea I had the other day, actually, Liverpool's greatest defeat, um, which seemed a slightly odd idea. But, but you know, sometimes, you, you, know, up, you know, football is about winning, as you, as you so rightly said. You know, there's the old saying, first is first and second is nowhere. But sometimes as well, you know, and I, I was banging on about this a lot last season when obviously Liverpool were having this incredible 97-point season that wasn't enough to win the league. And obviously there was no guarantee that they were going to win the final. But winning is important, yes, but it can't be the sole barometer of of, 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 of what football is about. It's about enjoyment, it's about emotions, it's about, it's, the way, it's about the way it makes you feel and the way it brings people together. And that particular game at Chelsea, I met you know, that was one of my proudest nights as as another budget. It was the it was the night before the twentieth anniversary of Hillsborough. Mm-hmm. So I remember going down to the game, obviously we all having to race back because we were working the next day to cover what what and what would actually prove to be a very watershed day in, in that in that particular story. But the the game itself was incredible. The first leg at Anfield the week before, I still think that's possibly one one of, if not the best away performance I've ever seen from the away team in Anfield. Mm-hmm. Liverpool were flying. It was four days after that game at Benny Hume when, um, sorry, that game at Fulham when Benny Hume scored late on and we were really starting to feel that this could be our year for the league with United starting to look a bit flaky. We got off to the perfect start when uh, Torres put it in front after four or five minutes and it just seemed to be going perfectly. And then Chelsea, who had, I think, Gus Hiddings in pair take a charge after, was it Scolari? Yes. Had uh, it, taken over in the summer and had lost his job not long after they'd lost to Anfield in, in late January, I think. Um, Branislav Ivanovic, who was another little on this day, because it's actually is it seven years today that Suarez did. It is, it yes. Is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, time <laughs> I, flies. I, I genuinely didn't know who he was, and he scored two headers from a corner. Uh, two headers from corners. I think I think Gobba got the other. Chelsea won 3-1, but that scoreline flashed at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Chelsea had won 4-5 that night, and we could not complain because they were unbelievable. 
Um, and obviously it kind of felt like a bit of a doom mission going down to Chelsea. And I think by and large it was just a case of, well, let's, go, let's not get battered and try and win on the night, at least we still a bit of pride. As I said before, Aurelio scored this absolutely little bit like that guy in the Palace in that kind of like he kind of fooled the goalkeeper yes. at the near post. We got a penalty shortly afterwards and with 25 minutes gone, the tie was level at 3-3. Chelsea still had the advantage with their three away goals to Liverpool's two. But all of a sudden the tie was right back in the balance. Chelsea came back early in the second half and I think got themselves 3-2 up on the night, which which would have made it, what, 5-3 on aggregate. And it kind of looked all over. But again, this Liverpool team did not have it in them to give up. They kept, you know, Maybe not quite to the certain extent of the early box mentality monsters, but they kept going. Like to the end, Lucas had the shot deflected in. And then all of a sudden, Dirk Kite scored ahead with about seven minutes to go to make it 4-3 on the night. And we only needed one more, 5-3, would have taken Liverpool through on the away goal. Now, I think in the end, Frank Lampard scooped one in and it finished 4-0. But I remember walking out, walking out of that ground that night feeling so proud of, of, of my team, of my club, of, of what we've done, of who we are, how we represented ourselves on and off the pitch. And, you know, that, that, in the same way a lot of people talked about, you know, Gerald Healy in, in, at the start of the century, that, that particular decade, restoring kind of like Liverpool's pride and sense of identity. I do think Rafa did that, particularly on the continental stage, even if obviously this was a game against another English club. So there was, there was many, many great, great games and, and, great, and great memories from this era. <clears throat> that and and that that Rafa and the players involved gave us, and um, you know people might talk about oh this thirty year barren spell without a league. Well, you know I think there's plenty of other clubs that would give that would give their IT to kind of have the, the the kind of barren spell and the experiences that we've had, even if it hasn't always resulted in the kind of trophies that we, that, that you'd want. So I say football football is not just about trophies; it's about the times you have, the laughs you have, the days out, the nights out, and you know we certainly have plenty of these under Rafa. And the thing is, I'm glad you've placed that into context, really, because what Rafa was having to experience behind the scenes, I'm a great believer in things that if things aren't working well off the field, invariably at some point it will transfer to, to on the pitch. And just, again, we're not too nationalistic around these parts, to say the least, for a myriad number of reasons. But it was mm. a very strong time for, for English football. You know, I, 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 might be, yeah, yeah. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty certain for three or four seasons, at times, three English clubs were in the semi-finals of the Champions League: Chelsea, Manchester United, yeah. Liverpool, obviously, and even Arsenal. Arsenal, as you say, weren't quite at the veng of at their very best under Arsene Wenger. But as we've seen that night in the four-four, they were still a, a potent team. It, it, there was no shame that Rafa wasn't able to bring the the league title that Jurgen Klopp will bring to Anfield, was there? No, I, I, you're absolutely right. In a different era, uh, absolutely no doubt in my mind that Rafa would have won a number of leagues. But, but you're absolutely right in what you're saying. I think. 2007, 8 and 9, there was at least two, and I think most years, three teams, English teams, in the last four of the Champions League. So that is, and, and in this, this this particular Arsenal team in 2009, they, they get to the semi-final, and, 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 and they, they, they lost to the Man United over the two legs. So even if they, they, they weren't really threatening, I don't think they ever really threatened to win a league after, after their invincible year in 2004, they were clearly no more side. And, you know, it, Often, sometimes, kind of sneer a little bit when we are constantly told the Premier League is the greatest league in the world, and blah blah blah. And you know, I think sometimes there's a certain amount of kind of self-promotion and self-mythological, 
self-myth involved in that. Mm-hmm. But during this particular period, the reality is it, 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 the English teams were as strong as any in Europe because they were proving it year after year in the Champions League and the Europa League. So it was it was a shame for Rafa, and you know, that, that, there's always that there will always be that feeling. I think when people talk about Rafa in his time at Liverpool, if he'd had better owners, if things had been more stable off the pitch, would he have won that league? And you know, I, I, I always. It's one of these, you know, if, if, you know, if the hands had King Yo, she'd be my uncle. <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll, we'll never know 100%. But I, I find it impossible not to imagine that if, if things had been more stable off the pitch, he would have he, he would have ended that long wait for a league title. But he still, he, he won a European Cup. He, he won an FA Cup. He gave us some great days and nights. And I think more than anything else, he engaged with the people of the city. He, he, got, he got us. You know, without wishing to be tough on him, one of the when people talk about Roy Hodgson and his time at Liverpool is that he always felt very detached from things. And there was very much enough from them. Whereas even though it, it, well, it, it'll be 10 years next month since Rafa Benito has left his job as Liverpool manager. And yet he's still, I think, loved and revered by the majority of Liverpool supporters. And it's not just because of Istanbul. It's because of how he conducted himself and, and how he related to the city. Obviously, the fact that he's he's still like a family home on the Wirral shows how you know he, he felt a bond with the place and a bond with the people because he's still here so yeah it was it, it, there's always that kind of feeling of what if and what might have been but at the same time you know he gave us an awful lot of enjoyment and, and at the end of the day that's, that's what football's primarily about as well as I'm concerned I think that's the perfect point to end on. Also, it'll allow you to crack on with your shift, mate, which is starting <laughs> in four minutes' time, just in case you get Joe or Sean on your case. Uh, Dan, once Lucky again, way. mate, <laughs> it, absolute pleasure listening to you uh, reminisce there, mate. And uh, as we said on the last podcast after the 5-0 one against Forest, there's plenty more to come in uh, May. And as you say, even June, June the 1st for Madrid in terms Absolutely. of these Liverpool classics. There's loads of games we can still get stuck into before today's football returns, which... By and large, it sounds like it may be June, but uh, with with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, you can just take it one day at a time. Dan, thanks very much yeah. again for joining us, mate. Have a great day. Cheers, Paul. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.